right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Day 239. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today is the last day of the book of Nehemiah. And last time we ended up talking about you know, this kind of covenant renewal ceremony, right? Where the people come back into the land. Man, Ezra, who is the high priest of the time, is reading the book of the law and they are committing themselves to the law just as their ancestors and forefathers had did. They are committing themselves to the Torah just as their ancestors did. And so Nehemiah 9 <clears throat> opens up with this national confession of sin, right? This is in response to the words that they heard uh, from Ezra. And it's interesting because um, this is not a specific holiday on the calendar, right? So this, all of these events we're reading about took about three weeks, right? The reading of the law, the renewal uh, or the commitment, the recommitment to the festivals and all that kind of stuff. And even this confession of sin and this confession of sin was not somewhere commanded, right? <laughs> uh, in the Torah, but you just see the, the contrition of the people or the, the, uh, uh, the seeming uh, contrition of the people in the confession in Nehemiah 9. And it's a really beautiful uh, penitential right prayer where they're, where they're praying and they're repenting before the Lord. And essentially, they go down the corridor of time in redemptive history and they start off praising God, right, who is exalted above all blessing, right, <laughs> and praise. Such an interesting uh, phrase there. And he points over and over throughout the chapter to the Lord's uniqueness, right? To the Lord's incomparability. God is unique. God is incomparable. Things we've seen all throughout the Old Testament. And he moves, I love it, because he moves to a man named Abram, right? Who becomes Abraham. And the only other person he mentions in this entire history by name is Moses, right? And it's interesting. Why is that? Why is that significant? Because the main actor for the people of Israel and for us too. Listen, the main actor in history is God himself. It says, you, Lord, you, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram. Verse seven, you found his heart faithful in your sight. Verse eight, you saw the oppression of your ancestors in Egypt and heard the cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all his officials and all the people. Of the land. You fed them in the world. You, 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 you. Right. And listen, reading history. I love this. Reading history isn't the most important thing, but how we read it makes all the difference. God, hear this, is the primary actor. Right. In history on his people's behalf. <laughs> right. And I think it is important for us to remember we have to know our place in his story. But listen, we have to know his place in our story. Right. And so the Lord is seen as the main benevolent faithful actor uh in the israelite history amidst right the the people's ignorance and unfaithfulness and he talks about that some throughout this text as well um but he's contrasting the lord's faithfulness to their unfaithfulness and they repent right they repent of their sins uh they repent of the sins too of their ancestors right why because the sins of their ancestors hear this this is important the sins of their ancestors had a direct correlation to where they were in the present day Right. They are subjects of the Persians in their own land, strangers in their own land because of the sinfulness of the ancestors. Listen, we don't get to the present without the past. And then we don't make sense of the presence, but the present without it either. Right. We have a real responsibility. I think the Bible says uh, based on this text, based on uh, the, the, the confession text in the book of Ezra, too, like we have a real responsibility to right the wrongs of our ancestors 
if those wrongs have a specific bearing amongst the people, uh, amongst people in the present. And I think Nehemiah 9 gives us a really good template for looking at that reality. Nehemiah 10 comes and in this chapter, they make an, a vow and an oath to obey the Lord. This is important. They essentially recommit themselves. So remember, this is like a covenant renewal kind of ceremony, right? And, and this has happened, right? Throughout covenant history, this has happened in the Bible, right? Joshua 24, uh, off top, let's see, uh, Deuteronomy, right? The whole book of Deuteronomy is just like covenant renewal ceremony. Um, and so this happens, uh, it happens in Samuel as well. Um, and they essentially recommit themselves to the law, but they specifically, hear this, call one another and themselves to be faithful to God's word surrounding the specific issues of their day. I love it. That literally, literally, number one, the marrying of foreign husbands and wives. They, we got to nip this in the bud, chief. This is a problem, right? So we have to apply the law, the laws, the Torah to the issue of marrying foreign husbands and wives, to the sanctity of the Sabbath day and the Sabbath year. We ain't kept the Sabbath in years, right? <laughs> Let alone the Sabbath year. So we have to commit ourselves to that as we come back into the land. Three, they just rebuilt the house of God. So the funding of the temple, right, was very important. That's why they have to hammer home on that here. Listen, the first fruits, firstborn, all of our possessions, all of that associated with uh, uh, the, the redemption from Egypt, all those things, listen, had to be hammered home. Now, there are issues in their day that had the, that the word of God had to be applied to, right? Because they were living in a specific context and in a specific place in history. And there are issues in our day, fam in our time that we can uh, bring the word of God to, that we need to emphasize in the scriptures, in the midst of God building his kingdom, we have to use the word of God to key in on and highlight and emphasize uh, uh, certain things. And this chapter gives us biblical precedent for that as well. Listen, God's law, I want y'all to hear this, is not to be changed. God's word is not to be changed, but it is, hear this, no, no, for real, it is to be freshly applied <laughs> in new eras and in new contexts in history over and over again you think about the protestant reformation right like just to give one small example uh where the issue of being justified and saved by god's grace and faith they didn't change the word of god but they just applied it to the specific context you think about the civil rights movement right where uh, uh, uh massive injustice were being done to the vulnerable in society the, those on the margins dr king and those who led the civil rights movement applied the word of god to that specific day and situation i can go back to the the, the early third and fourth century where the deity of christ was being uh, attacked so you had christians the 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 early church father saying no 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 fam we we have to be clear we have to apply specific texts about the deity of jesus in the 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 the, the dual nature of him being 100% God, 100% man, right? all that, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, all these things being applied to their specific context. And it's the same thing now. And we have to be discerning and wise enough. I'm on my, I'm on my uh, uh, diatribe. We have to be discerning and wise enough, man, to discern the real issues in our present moment and skillfully, wisely, 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 communally, prayerfully apply the biblical text to those issues, right? And I think Nehemiah 10, is a really good template for that. All right, so 11 comes, literary level. On a literary level, this chapter takes up um, the thought of chapter seven, right? Remember in chapter seven, you had all these names being mentioned and it talks about the resettling and repopulation of Jerusalem, uh, the people of God being repopul uh, repopulating the area and the names, right? And um, it's interesting because um, 
It talks about those who inhabited the holy city while the rest of the people inhabited the villages of Judah, the text says. Um, and Jerusalem is mentioned here as the holy city, right? A city set apart, right, from the rest of the world, namely because the name of Yahweh dwelt there and his people could dwell with him there. And God is building his house, right? Remember, we talked about how the house functions on many levels. God is building his house, his temple, but his house also his people in his holy city with his holy people. And he wants his people to live in his holy city and he wants them to actually be holy, right? That's that's another thing that the, the text is trying to say. And we're going to get at that more in 13, how they're actually not holy. <laughs> but but God wants to uh, dwell with his people and he wants his people to be a holy people. Like literally, he wants us to live, change new, different lives than the world around us in holiness before him. Nehemiah 12 comes and he speaks of the priests and the Levites again to emphasize once again the house of God and those that had to perform their work there and who performed the teaching function of the Torah right in God's kingdom uh, uh, and, and their duties. And so 27 verse 27 there's a shift and there's a there's a dedication of the wall. So remember Nehemiah specifically came back to will to rebuild the wall and the gates and uh you know, there's this dedication of the wall they've built for the Lord and they go get the Levites who were to lead out in worship and musical instruments. Right. We learn about that uh, here. And the thing that struck me is that when the Levites came, they purified the people and they also did all of this. Right. Rededication of the wall. And they worshiped. Right. They worshiped the worship. They worship. And it says the text says that no, no, no joy came among the people of God. And I think we just see that their service and their celebration, listen, their service and their celebration went hand in hands. Most of us tend to fall off one side of the horse. Like God is just a God who I have to serve. I just have to white knuckle, buckle my, like, like grit my teeth and go at it and serve God. And then some of us are like, oh, no, we just need to celebrate. But God is saying, no, no, no. Like we need to both serve him and celebrate him. And actually the two are uh, mutually intertwined. Right. And um, you see the joy here that is reminiscent of the com completion of the temple. And again, this is a partial fulfillment of the restoration. Right. And so uh, verse 43 even goes on to say that, uh, you know, there was joy even heard far away. Right. Where this community was being obedient to the Lord, committing themselves to the Lord, serving the Lord, doing what he called them to do. And they were able to worship him in joyful uh, obedience as they do it. And I think, man. One of the things I always say is, uh, you know, never let joy be the reason you reject Jesus, right? Never let joy be the reason you reject Jesus, man. I think the scriptures are just um, like laced with the idea that uh, our happiness is found in the midst of being who God called us to be and seeing him for he is rather than apart from those things. Last chapter, Nehemiah 13. Uh, no, it's five today in the five chapters. Nehemiah 13. The book ends with Nehemiah, uh, and like uh, like a lot of uh, I like a lot of these two books or one book, Ezra Nehemiah. Um, it ends in a very anticlimactic uh, way, right? Nehemiah leaves. He leaves to go back to Artaxerxes, and he hears that the people are back wilding, right? Like cats is back wilding. He way like man, I'm way out here and y'all wilding again. And the text is structured uh, uh, neatly because. You know, it, it speaks of no foreigners, right, being allowed to go in the temple at the beginning of uh, chapter 13, specifically the Moabites and the Ammonites. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy. God is not religious or God is religious. He's not racist. Right. So it's not this. It's not just about ethnicity here. It is uh, more about uh, them being idolaters. Right. Um, and so Eliashab, 
a guy named Eliashap, allows Tobiah, right? Tobiah, who's an Ammonite, historically an enemy of God, and Nehemiah and the people to live in the temple. No, 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 not to live in Jerusalem, not to live in Judah, in the villages of Judah, but in the actual temple to work, to live where God lives, right? And he'll pay no rent, right? And Nehemiah is hot. Nehemiah is hot, right? So he comes back and he peeps, right? He's, he's sharp about what's going on. Not only that, the Levites weren't being provided for and cared for by the community, which they were to be because they were to perform the work uh, in and around the temple. And then he, after that, he's like, no, no, he sees folks treading wine presses on the Sabbath and also bringing in all kinds of goods and, and, and trading and, and, and bartering on the Sabbath. And they just committed themselves to not doing this on the Sabbath in chapter 10, right? You see all these things and, they, and they're marrying foreign wives. So literally everything they just <laughs> committed to doing in chapter 10, they are like not doing in chapter 13, right? And so you see this defilement. Listen, if this was about rebuilding the house of God, you see a defilement of the house of God on every single level, right? Among the people and among the actual building that God is trying to uh, restore. And it's interesting, man, because again, this kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger, right? And, and Nehemiah goes in and, and I don't think the text is telling us to go beat people up, but Nehemiah is fighting cats, bro. He's hot, fam. Like he pulling cat's hair out, holding on, rebuking him, cursing him. Anyway, um, this leaves us on a on, on a cliffhanger, and you you see that um this recommitment to the law, this covenant renewal, fam, uh in the in the way that that it took place here in Nehemiah eight nine and ten, wasn't enough. <laughs> like it wasn't enough, right? It really wasn't enough to bring in the full restoration of God's people to change God's people, right? A rebuilding of the temple even wasn't enough right they need a messiah right who the bible would say is the cornerstone right who is building us the scripture says we'll say in first peter uh two um into a spiritual house a royal priesthood and ephesians will say the people are the dwelling place of the spirit of god ezra nehemiah wants us to look to the future to look forward to the god man jesus who keeps the law perfectly who is our great high priest who is the cornerstone meaning that he is not only the foundation of who we are but that he is inseparable from his people who have united himself uh, themselves to him by faith who are being built up by his spirit listen ezra and nehemiah were not the answer to the exile they couldn't bring in the fullness of the restoration that was needed among God's people and prophesied by the prophets. But in the next few days, we will meet the one who will. Father, I thank you so much that you've sent your son Jesus to do what uh, so many of your leaders couldn't do in the past. I pray that we would let Jesus be Jesus and that we would be your people, Father. And I pray that we would remember our place in your story.